This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, A People's History premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. And today, a conversation with someone I've been watching on screen for over two decades. The one and only Tracy Ellis Ross. So you are so many people's internet friend in their head. So many of us have grown up with you. You're an icon for so many in that way. That's so nerve-wracking. What's nerve-wracking about it? You just said the word icon. It was so funny. I don't know if you noticed, but the other day I posted for my mom's birthday the Essence cover, my first Essence cover. And it was with my mom. It was in 2004. That's almost 20 years ago. And on the picture, it says the icon and the ingenue. I consider my mom an icon, so it feels funny to hear somebody say that. Tracy's mom, of course, is Motown superstar Diana Ross. But despite her pedigree, Tracy is still so down to earth. I first encountered her on the groundbreaking sitcom Girlfriends, which premiered in 2000. Her character, Joan Clayton, represented the kind of woman I wanted to be. Successful and stylish, yet funny and fun to be around. Okay, ladies, take note. This is where I turn and he pops a wheelie because I remind him that all of this booty could have been his. But as I've grown from girl to woman, I mean, I am now Joan's age. So did Tracy. She went from playing the premier Black Bachelorette to playing America's mom as Bo Johnson on Blackish. Honey, I just want to make sure you know that there's nothing wrong with your skin. You're so strong and so handsome. And okay, the podcast said do not focus on beauty or he is going to become an egomaniac. I got this. These days, Tracy's looking beyond her on-screen roles. She's turned her focus toward uplifting the stories of real people on her Hulu documentary, Hair Tales, and with her new podcast, I Am America. I have a real curiosity in the internal journey of people. I love listening and asking questions in that sense around who people are and like, where did that come from? I caught up with Tracy to chat about her long and dare I say iconic career and what it means to have rich auntie energy. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu with Black Twitter, a people's history from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, Black Twitter, a people's history tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Tracy Ellis Ross, welcome to It's Been a Minute. I am so happy to be here. Hi, Brittany. 
We are so glad to have you. So Tracy, I want to start off by talking about your acting career, since that's how so many of us have gotten to know you over the years. Yeah. Between Girlfriends and Blackish, you starred in two long-running sitcoms. 16 which years is of my life, Brittany. 16 years of your life. I mean, and that's a kind of gold that many actresses don't even get to strike once, let alone twice. And on top of that, Joan from Girlfriends and Bo from Blackish, they both require very different performances. Sometimes Joan was really slapstick. You know, sometimes Joan was like really going for it and Five, being so six, big. Seven, eight, kickball change, kickball change, shimmy, shimmy, coca pop, shimmy, shimmy. With Blackish, it was like single camera sitcom. The humor was a little bit drier. It's like sometimes there's eight jokes in 30 seconds you know, that are happening on screen. Why do I want a gun for protection? Oh, and you don't feel safe enough with all the ridiculous weapons you have stashed around this house? Under-counter switchblade? Shower machete? Blender nunchucks? Why? In case you get attacked while making a milkshake? It's where you're most vulnerable. Oh, my God. I wonder, first, how did you learn to be so big in your performances? <laughs> That's hilarious to me because I didn't. I'm big. <laughs> I didn't need to learn how to be big. I think, honestly, both vehicles for me were just a part of me that I let move forward and run the show and sort of lead the pack of how many identities I have within me. And that's one of the prayers I say at the beginning of, of the project, may the part of me known as come forward. So for Joan, it's funny because when you first said you know, they were so different. I was like, were they? They didn't feel so different to me. They felt exactly the same. I mean, I've played roles that feel very different. Bo felt like the grown-up version of Joan Carol Clayton, the woman who actually got the partner and had the kids. And Joan was a lot more frightened. She had a lot more anxiety, a lot less faith. And Bo Johnson is, you know, she is a lot closer to me in a sense of a sense of trust around the love she has and what mm. she has to offer. There was a lean back quality to Bo that was really fun to play and like magical in terms of the dance partner of Anthony. Anthony Anderson, who plays Dre on Blackish. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about one of your other famous scene partners, Jill Marie Jones. I mean, you know, going back to Girlfriends, oh Girlfriends was a game changing show. In so many ways. And, it, it, and I think we all can agree that it was a huge influence on another game-changing show, HBO's Insecure. Insecure. Oh, and by the way, a little tidbit of information, Prentice Penny was a writer on Girlfriends. Wow. Regina. Wow. Yeah, all, they were all on Girlfriends. So the DNA is really there. The DNA is really, really there. But I, I see it so clearly in the relationship between... You know, Joan Carroll Clayton and her best friend, Tony Childs, as played by Jill Marie Jones, the pair's tumultuous but loving dynamic was like the emotional center of the show. Men came and men went, but their friendship was the thing that was forever. Agreed. How do you feel about Joan and Tony's legacy as what we've been calling on our team the prototypical messy best friends? Joan and 
Tony, I just sometimes they were like really mean to each other. Like I just really didn't understand that. It was something that actually Jill Gold and Persia and I we constantly were like, "Who are these friends? Like who does this to each other? Like I've never heard of this." You know, um, it was something back then that we pushed up against at times. Like that's really mean. I'm tired of being your whipping dog. I'm tired of explaining to people what's good about you when I'm not even sure myself. I'll tell you a funny, I just had a memory of (laughs) Jilly Bean. So Jill and I both are very physical in like, I'm one of those people, if I go to the movies with you, like I will push up against you with my arm when something's funny. Like I'll just like shove you like this. Anyway, Jill, she like hits you, but it got to the point, I kid you not, I did not even notice this. I think Jill pointed it out. I flinch. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a funny thing to look back and see, but there's times towards the later seasons where like Tony comes at Joan, you know, and does like something. And I'm like, ah, like, oh God, (laughs) because she had a heavy hand as grandma used to say, Jill had a heavy hand. (laughs) It was Jilly Bean. I remember that's such a funny scene. I was also just thinking about when I find out that she's actually a year older than me and she's been lying the whole time and I scooch across that dining table. Such a funny scene. That was a really fun day when we shot that. Oh my gosh. I mean, the amount of fun that you all are having, I can only imagine, but it definitely, definitely came through for me as a viewer. You even have said just now that Bo is kind of a more grown up Joan, like Joan down the line a bit. It's sort of like Bo got all the things Joan wanted. Exactly. Exactly. But you know, I mean, Joan was kind of the iconic, like, black, successful bachelorette. And Bo is like the iconic, like, black TV mom of the 2010s. Uh, how does it feel to have represented two different but still kind of related aspects of black womanhood? Makes me want to cry. <laughs> it really does make me want to cry. I feel very honored to have had the opportunity to represent black women. And I've taken it with a lot of responsibility. The way I fight in on set and speak up and say, no, I won't, or this has to change. I mean, no one will know that journey, but those that have been intimately near me, but I fight for black women. (laughs) Every barrier that I fight through means that the next generation doesn't even have to take on that battle. And that hopefully they don't even know it was a battle. And it's really important to me that we, particularly in the canon of television, that we are able to be seen with the humanity and the power and the beauty and the all of it. But really the humanity, that we can be all the things. You know, I mean, in playing these characters, your performances, I imagine, have moved a lot of viewers over the years. I mean... Millions of people saw these roles as like a conduit to exploring, you know, maybe their relationships to motherhood or to being single in their own lives. Are there any reflections over the years that you've heard or received from fans of your work that sort of speak to that? All the time. People would say, you know, my 13, 14 year old will not do anything with me but we watch Blackish together. 
I get that 20 some odd minutes and then we usually get to talk a little bit after. And that like really moved me. And then I think on girlfriends, I really like it when people say, you were wearing Louboutin shoes before anybody else. My priorities are right in line. <laughs> that that really means something to me. <laughs> Coming up, I talk with Tracy about her new podcast, I Am America, and why she's excited about getting older. Stick around. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So I want to take a turn to your podcast, I Am America. On that show, you talk to some incredible Black women. And in a lot of your work, your image is associated often with Black womanhood. But through this podcast, you've also focused in on Black men and their wellness, too. They go so deep on this show on the intersection of Black men and feminism. Why was it a priority for you to include those sorts of stories about Black men in this project? This was really about the humanity of being a person of color in this country. To a certain extent, gender is a limiting and ancient construct that doesn't quite match the beauty of humanity. It kind of sounds like your aim with the show was to really show a full picture. The way that it's explored in the show, though, is very intentional. The way that gender is brought into the picture is very intentional. The lens is very intentional. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's intentional, but it also was expressed through the individuals. So it wasn't a frame that I gave them. There's someone in my life that says, you know, it's not always important the answers that you get, but the questions that you ask. And it's it, that was a really helpful um, adjustment for me, especially for someone who's very results-oriented, right, that is constantly walking towards, like, how do I get the thing accomplished and be effective and, and sort of move things forward? And a lot of what this podcast did for me and some of my favorite podcasts is they offer questions, questions for how I then start navigating my own life and my own experience. Going back to the idea of you being, like, an icon for so many When we were preparing for this conversation with you, one of our producers shared that he thinks of you as the definition of the rich black auntie. (laughs) Please keep going. This this tickles me. Keep going. Yes. So we want to know, do you want that title? I don't mind it at all. I don't mind it at all. It is so funny to me. Like, I'll take that. I think it's it feels like a beautiful honoring, honestly, of my experience and how long I've been in your world and in my world. Like, it's, you know, I don't know. I mean, I love being an aunt. I am an aunt to my nieces and nephews and honestly to my godchildren, too. And I, it is a role that I love. 
like that I just cherish that um, allows for like deep connection and also like a real sort of playfulness. The rich part is hilarious because it makes me think of, you know, I always do these first dip videos of me getting in the pool when I go on vacation. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I don't know if you saw that meme where someone wrote on my drink, rich bitch juice. <laughs> yes. That, I mean, that still kills me. I was like, that's like watered down tequila where the ice has melted. <laughs> like, I'm like, if that's rich bitch juice, like, like, like I was like, what would rich bitch juice be? Like, <laughs> but I don't think it's like watered down, like nasty tequila that like you shouldn't be drinking anymore. <laughs> Look, that's your next company. When you crack the recipe, when I crack the recipe juice. on rich bitch juice, and we maybe we call it. Let's get rid of the B word. Why don't we call it rich auntie juice? <laughs> when I tell you that's going to fly off the shelves, <laughs> off the shelves. Like I, okay, so I have a niece who's five years old. That's my girl. That's my home girl. She's amazing, and like. As soon as I became an auntie, I'm like, <laughs> I have ascended. <laughs> like, I that's what I mean. The There's something really. I don't know. I mean, I don't have children, right? So here's what I will say to uh, to that. I love that people hold me in their hearts in that way. I, I think mm-hmm. it's lovely. There's something really honorable about being an auntie. The idea of the auntie also makes me think about something that I have just appreciated by the way you've tackled this idea in the press and your interviews and things like that. You seem to be truly thrilled about continuing forward in life and about aging. And I think that's remarkable considering the industry that you work within, which is like so about the opposite of that. (laughs) How did you cultivate that in an industry and in a society that doesn't want to celebrate women getting older? Well, I personally have always loved getting older, like genuinely. I think it's an honor to get older. Not everybody gets to get older, and I'm not sure why we don't look at it that way. I know we're obsessed with youth. I would not go back if you paid me. Sure, my skin was tighter. Sure, my legs held muscle in a different way. But I am so much more comfortable in my skin. I intuitively know how to handle things which you, that used to baffle me. I know when it's time to leave a party. I know that no is a complete sentence. I have figured that out. And this is wonderful. And at the same time, there's a whole bunch of stuff, Brittany, that ain't happening that I really thought was going to be happening. You know what I mean? There's like a lot of, there's a lot of pieces that I'm like, ouch, and a grief that comes up around them. And I'm very mindful of not creating meaning of those things. At the same time, you know, it's like people say, well, you're the poster child for being single and happy. Well, you don't, I'm like, yeah. And I also want a relationship, but what am I going to do? Sit around and wait, wait to get chosen. Get out of here. I got a life to live. You know? I mean, I think you've just shared with us the definition of like gracefulness. I want to talk about an upcoming role that I have been so excited that you are going to take on. Yes. You are going to be playing Jody from the show Daria, iconic show, iconic character. Jody was one of the only black girls at her school, and she was a straight A student, and she was a popular girl and also an overachiever. And at one point, she very dryly and astutely (laughs) described herself as the quote unquote queen of the Negroes at her high school. I don't remember that. That's amazing. She did. At home, I'm Jody. 
I can say or do whatever feels right. But at school, I'm the queen of the Negroes, the perfect African-American teen, the role model for all of the other African-American teens at Lawndale. I was like, I don't know where her mind was at 16, 17, that she understood the dynamics around her, but next level. Is there any overlap between young Tracy and this character of Jody? Like, did you see something in Jody that reminded you of yourself when you were younger that made you want to resurrect this character? For sure. I mean, first of all, um, her overachieving, like, list-making, like, all that, like, just doing too much and the idea of playing with a young black woman who's in that phase of her life where like everything smells like freshly cut grass. That transition out of college and high school into the workforce is such an interesting one. It was such a, it was so intense. You know, Mm -hmm. I remember that phase of my life so intimately again, wouldn't go back if you paid me, but I get to go back through Jody. So it was the combination of all those things, but the idea of exploring that through animation really was exciting to me. To explore black women's hair through animation was so exciting. One of the most fun parts of this entire thing, and strangely, as we're watching it, as it's coming together, Jody's wardrobe is so banging. Grace and I had so much fun (laughs) making animated clothes. Like, I can't even tell you, like the mood boards and the, all that, like so much fun. And everyone keeps asking one of the things pre-interview you were saying to me, like, you know, is, is it coming out? Like, is it still happening? People are like, when's it coming? I'm like, guys, they got to draw it. They got to draw it. This is not like you go on a set and you like act it. They have to draw. Somebody has to draw it all. Mm, well, we are absolutely ready. I know I'm ready. All you got to do is say the word and I'm ready to plus play. So we got one last question yes. for you. You know, you have made so many people laugh. You have made audiences on top of audiences laugh now for decades. And you're so good at comedy. I mean, we're on the dark timeline, as one of our producers likes to say. We are living in some dark times. Where do you see the role of laughter? Oh, I think laughter is the best medicine. It's a connector. It is, um, I think, what God sounds like. Mm-hmm. Now that's an answer right there. <laughs> Well, Tracy, thank you so much for joining us today. You have made me laugh plenty today. It has been such a joy to talk to you after enjoying your work for so many years. Thank you. And your questions were so wonderful. And also you were so generous in your compliments. Thanks again to my guest, actor, producer, and director, Tracy Ellis Ross. Her new podcast, I Am America, is out now. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Liam McBain. Corey Antonio Rose. This episode was edited by Jessica Mendoza. Jessica Placek. Our intern is Jamal Michelle. Engineering support came from Joby Tanseco. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our senior VP of programming is Anya Grundman. All right, that's all for this episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. Talk soon. This message comes from NPR sponsor KeyBank. At KeyBank, they believe in delivering for their clients. Whatever the economic turn, KeyBank is primed to collaborate and help create solutions tailored to your ideas and your vision. With nearly 200 years of banking experience, they know a lot about being a trusted advisor. And whether you're managing growth, seeking solutions, or improving your bottom line, KeyBank is ready to be yours. 
KeyBank opens doors. Learn more at key.com slash advisor. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit NPR.org elections.